Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church Podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. our series. Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen if you can, if you can read that. Starting in verse 1, we're going to skip around a bit. We're going to do verse 1, 2, 4 through 6, 13 through 17. This is what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, this is John's message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Crazy dude. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. And this is what they were doing when they found him. They were confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. You think your workplace is intimidating. Imagine if Jesus walked in. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but you're coming to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, because it's a bad idea to say no to Jesus. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, not a dove, but descending like a dove, and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him... I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Last week, we spoke about the importance of rightly understanding God. Everything else in your life flows from your belief, your conviction about what's ultimately most valuable or true. We don't have time to to dig into that, but we can go back. You can go back to last week and listen. Your walk with God flows from your idea about who God is, whether that idea is right or wrong. And in all of us, there is, there is there's truth and fiction in what we believe about God. But he's drawing us in to greater truth. And one of the, one of the key attributes of who God is, what, the, the verse we looked at last week in, in, in Exodus 34, says it is what God is abounding in, He's overflowing. When you look at him, it's what is obvious about him is love. And love isn't primarily an emotion. It is an emotion. It's primarily a posture and an action. Love in in Scripture throughout the Old Testament, God is revealing his love. And it doesn't mean he feels warm fuzzies for his people. 
It means his, his posture towards them is for their good. This is the way we, we, we unpacked it last week. It's this. God's love means he's chosen you unconditionally and he serves you sacrificially. Already you're like, oh, no, wait a second. That's, that's too good. If that's too, it is too good, you're right. It's too good for me. I don't deserve it. That's, that's why it's grace. But it's not, the reason why it's too good, it feels too good, and you don't deserve it is because our idea of love is performance-based. But God's idea of love is that is his very character. And his choice to you is that he's chosen you unconditionally, if you're found in Jesus, and he serves you sacrificially. That's why he sent Jesus. And we, we talked about this truth right here. When God loves you, there's nothing you can do about it. When you're the object of his love, sorry, end of the story. End of story. This week, I'm going to build on, on top of that, and this is the title of my message this week, is the approval you're getting the approval you need. Is the approval you're getting the approval you need. Say approval. approval. All of us need approval. Like, like there is this deep, innate need to be approved by others, right? Not just the needy person that came to your mind, right? Not just hashtag thirsty. I mean, everybody needs approval, okay? All of us. We're, it's hardwired into us. But separate from God, there's two things we generally do with the approval that we need, our, our need for approval. Number one, we're going to look for it from the world around us, right? So this is our, this is our filtered life. This is our Instagram life. This is our life where we're posturing. We're only showing parts of ourselves. The problem with, with finding approval from the world around us is uh, the world around us is fickle. They change their mind. What they like today, they don't like tomorrow. You can never satisfy them. It is an, it is a, it's like running on a treadmill. You never get anywhere. But you expend a whole lot of effort. That's what it's like trying to find Approval from the world around you. But the second thing we do, if, if, if some of us, we feel like, oh, no, I'm beyond that. I just, I don't need anybody else's approval. I just need my own approval. So we don't try to find approval from outside of us. We try to find approval from inside of us. The problem with that, there's two problems with that. The first problem with trying to find approval just inside my own self is we really don't believe us. It's like buying a fake Rolex from a dude on the street. He is trying to convince you that it's real. And you may wear it around and other people think it's real, but like you really kind of know. <laughs> this isn't real. That's what it's like to find approval from the inside. You, you can put it on, but deep down you know it's not quite real. And the second thing is, when we, when, we, when we just seek approval from the inside, it isolates us. Because anybody who disagrees with your opinion of yourself becomes your enemy. Come on. I like Instagram-y kind of quotes like this. Vernon Howard, the spiritualist and philosopher, he said it like this. A truly strong person does not need the approval of others any more than a lion needs the approval of sheep. I'm like, what kind of life philosophy is that? I don't need anybody else's approval. I'm a lion, you're a sheep. That really, I mean, that, that really leads to the type of society we all want to live in where I view everybody else as a sheep in my world who disagrees with me. No, what is that? It comes from this place of I am enough. I saw another one. I saw another Instagram recently. If they don't like you for who you are, it means they're not meant to be in your life. 
But we love, we like it, we retweet it. I mean, we love that. It makes us feel good. On that day, we're feeling insecure. If, if they don't like me, they're not meant to be in my world. What is that? It's this seeking for approval on the inside. And I don't need you to tell me who I am. Well, what kind of life is that? That isn't a life of flourishing in health. When we find our authentic self, it should draw us closer together. It shouldn't push us apart from each other. Jesus was the most, he was the most confident man, person who's ever lived. And when he found someone who disagreed with him, he was not like, I'm a lion, you're a sheep. Does that make sense? He was drawn. He leaned in. That's what, con- that's what true affirmation does. True affirmation makes us lean into each other. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Can you receive a better affirmation than one from God? This story is about Jesus' affirmation. But there's three things we can learn from this story, and I want to talk to you about them. The first one is we can learn about the source of, of affirmation, the source of love. Second, the timing of affirmation, the timing of love. And third, the response. The response of love, the response of affirmation. First, the source of love. The Bible's pretty, pretty clear about the source of love. John, the Apostle John tells us in um, his first letter, chapter number four, love comes from God. That's the source. That's the source of love. And how do we know what love is? Well, um, this is how we know. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Love looks like a laid down life. That's what it looks like. So John is, is saying, this is what love looks like. This is the source of love. And Jesus' story recognizes that because we become Christians doesn't mean our need for approval washes away. You hearing me? Doesn't mean, oh, I'm, I don't need approval anymore. What it does is it identifies the source of our approval. Because this is important to understand about the approval you feel you need or the love you feel you need. This is, this is the important principle. Our need for approval cannot be ignored. It can only be satisfied. Are you hearing me? You don't ignore that need and feel like you're going to get on with life. You can't ignore it with, with entertainment. You can't ignore it with pleasure. You can't ignore it with success. You can't ignore it with money. You can't ignore it with friends. You can't ignore it. It can only be satisfied. Are you hearing me? Can't be ignored. It can only be satisfied. But this is the thing about it. The lower the source of satisfaction, the weaker the hold it has on you. The higher the source of satisfaction the stronger the hold it has on you. You tracking? So this is the principle you've got to understand. This next one. When we receive love from an eternal source, nothing earthly can take it away. It's not that the need for approval leaves us. It's that what meets our, our need for love is coming from a different place. Jesus receiving the Father's love meant... There's now nothing lower than heaven that can steal what I just received. See, the father knew what would be ahead of him. Jesus Jesus knew in part, but the father knew in in complete understanding. Here's Here's what lays ahead. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be lied to. People who are closest to you are going to run in your greatest moment of need. 
people are going to tell, they're going to misunderstand you so deeply that they're going to say things that could not be farther from the truth about you. Then those lies are going to grow to the degree that the political government will actually step in and they're going to execute you. That's what's going to happen. I love you. Why, why could Jesus look forward to that? Because the source he received the love from was higher than anything on the earth. When the source of your love is heaven, nothing er earthly can take it away. How? How can we step into this? How can we step into this? This is how. You remember what Jesus did for you. Yeah, remembering is important. Remembering is, it's, it's in the word, okay? This is a, it's, it's remembering. So life has a way of dismembering the truth about who God is and what he's done for you. When we remember, remembering literally means to return to the place again. So when we remember, we we. We take all the parts that life has pulled apart about who Jesus is and what he said and what he's done and how good he is and we come back to that place and we remember all of those places. We're going to take communion today. What did Jesus say when he gave the meal of communion? Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What are we doing? We're putting, that's why we, we have physical, physical items. We're putting back together what the world has pulled apart, what circumstances have pulled apart, what my own fears or my own insecurities, my own pain has pulled apart. We're, we're coming back in. How do you find that source of love again in the middle of everything life has for us? You remember what Jesus did for you. Number one, the thing that Jesus' baptism tells us about the love of God is the source of love. And it better be a heavenly source. That's, that better be your, your, your source of affirmation. Number two, it tells us about the timing of love. Notice that the Father's expression of love to Jesus came before Jesus did anything for the Father. This is in Matthew chapter 3. There's 28 chapters in Matthew. This is so countercultural because our understanding of approval and affirmation only comes on the, on, on, on the back end of, of good performance. We can't understand being unconditionally, unconditionally loved before I've done something worth loving. We can't fathom it. We can't fathom it. Do you, do you understand? God's affirmation of Jesus, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased, came before he healed anybody. He hadn't preached a message. He didn't call a disciple. He'd been working at his, at his, at his dad's shop. He'd been hanging out with his family 30 years. Just hanging out 30 years. You think millennials just hang around living in their parents' house. <laughs> Jesus, 30 years, still in his parents, still in his family. Family business, 30 years. God, God has so much love and pleasure for him that he chooses to interrupt a baptism to declare his love over someone who hadn't done anything for God. The first thing Jesus' baptism tells us is that the source of love must be eternal. The second thing is the timing of love must come before. Because as soon as you start doing things to earn God's love, you have all of a sudden entered into self-righteousness. 
That's not the way it works in the kingdom. It's not the way it works in the kingdom. This is what Romans tells us. We read this last week. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't just do that to Jesus. Jesus did that to you. Oh, you don't see it because you don't understand what sin is. You think sin was doing bad things when you were a kid. Like, I stole a crayon from school and brought it home. That's, that's not... Sin is brokenness in the deep part of who we are. Our very nature is flawed, and it is working in opposition to who God is and what he's doing. When we were in that place, when we were utter enemies of God, he came to bridge the gap. And he didn't just come to preach us a message. He died. Subjected himself to our brokenness so that he could defeat our brokenness. The timing of love. How, how, how? How do, we, how, how do we receive the revelation of, of the timing of love? You receive. What, it's not enough to remember. This is why we don't, well, this is why we don't when, we, when we do communion, this is why we don't just look at communion. We eat it. We consume it. We ingest it. I love what my, what my friend Rob Sharp says. That it, after you take communion... It's just a matter of hours before, the, before that very substance is inseparable from your body. You can't separate it. That's what receiving looks like. Some of you know God's love from a distance. It's like, yeah, he preaches about it. But even as I say it, it's just like, ah, yeah, that sounds really Christian-y. But there's something that happens when the love of God erupts in your life. I, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like, it's like... It's, it's like, I don't know. Your soul is energized. Your soul is full. It's satisfied with something deeper. The first thing Jesus' baptism tells us is the source of love. The second thing is the timing of love. The third thing, and this is, this is where we're going to end the message on this point, and this is what has to do with the Great Commission, is the response of love. Because when you find love first, say first, when you find love first, you run towards need, not away from it. You run towards sacrifice, not away from it. When you don't find love first, you have to find it in everything you engage in. This is why Jesus could minister to people who were wholly unloving to him. Because he'd already found it. Everything he was doing for God was a response to what he'd already found. It was not seeking the thing he needed. He'd already found what he needed. He was living out of the victory of being fully satisfied knowing God loves me. See, some of us, we're still chewing on this. We can't get it because we live in such a culture that tells us everything you have in life is, is what you deserve. You've got to earn it. You're, you're living on your own, your own two feet. You're a self-made person. That's not kingdom life. That's not kingdom life. He reverses the equation. When we find love first, we run towards need. We run towards sacrifice. Look, I, I just love this. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This is, what he, this is how he describes his ministry. Imagine if we described our ministry like this, Ramp Church. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. 
We've been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. Why? Paul tells us, same book, different chapter. Christ's love compels us. Christ's love. You mean not a higher LinkedIn profile? No. You mean more more career opportunities? Nah. More more followers? No. Knowing that person I really want to know me, being seen with that person? No. Christ's love compels us. Why? Because Jesus died for all. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The fastest growing church in the world, there are more Christians, uh, there are more people coming to Christianity, coming to faith in Iran and Afghanistan than any other nation in the world. Um, It's illegal to serve Jesus in these nations. I'm on a text group with, um, with a couple leader friends and one of the leaders of a, of a church network in Iran. And so we, we regularly chat. And recently, many of the church leaders there are women because they're finding freedom in Jesus in, in ways that their culture is, is unique. And um, then they're stepping into leadership roles. And one of, one of these women pastors was doing training for church leaders in America. Um, and... So, and so one of my friends asked her, well, how's it, how's it been? And she said, it's okay. But she said, I feel myself, um, I feel myself getting comfortable in the American church. And, um, and she said, and then he said, well, don't you ever get scared for your life as you're leading churches in Iran? And she said, yes. She said, um, but what's, what's my life or 15 minutes of torture compared to the love of Christ? That was her response. This is what that tells us. The only explanation for someone who gives their life for love is that love is better than life. The only explanation for someone who gives their life for love is that love is better than life. As we are looking forward, Ramp Church, at getting in tune with the Great Commission for reaching our city, reaching our neighborhood, reaching our street, reaching our family with the message of Jesus. This is not an exercise in Christian calisthenics. This is not not a Christian workout routine. What sends us to our city? What sends us to the mission field? We are compelled by love. A love that grips us on the inside, a love that changes our behavior, a love that changes the way I look, a love that changes my decisions, a love that, that, that tweaks my commitments, a love that means I choose a neighborhood not based, 
not based on the, 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 the people that live there or the, 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 the image that it gives me, but I choose a neighborhood that I live in based on the mission field that I'm living based on the call of God, because I'm compelled by love, because my life is baptized into a story that's bigger than me. I'm compelled by love. I'm driven by love. I'm led by love. So I want to end circling back to the beginning of our message, and that is this. When God loves you, there's nothing you can do about it. That's true, but it's not the whole truth. The other part of that reality is this, but there's something you must do with it. When you've been loved that well, there's something you must do with it. I, I think about it like this. Band, you can come forward because this is, this is worth some music behind it, this shirt right here. I've just cut my church in half. Some of you are going to leave and never come back. Uh, so I got some, some, somebody got this, this for me because this was my 40th birthday this year, earlier this year. Awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I love sports analogies because I like sports. But receiving the love of God is, is, is like you're on the roster. You get this. right? You, you didn't have to earn it. But you get to wear it. You, you, you're on the team and there's nothing you can do about it. Sorry. Doesn't matter how bad you play. Doesn't matter what you did. This is, this is your jersey. Have you seen when they, when they score a goal, they'll, they'll tap, on, tap on this or they'll pull this to the camera? What's that? That you're on the team. You're on it. There's nothing you can do to change that. But someday, you're going to look down and you're going to realize... This requires something out of you. I didn't earn to be on this roster, but if I'm going to carry this badge on my chest, if I'm going to carry all all the players who have gone before me, the people who have given their life, the church who's expanding in Iran, people people who have laid down their lives for this, if I'm going to have the same crest on my chest that they had on theirs I, I don't I, I, I can't do anything about wearing this but I can do something in response to wearing it I can live the rest of my life as if this were true of me and as if this love exists standing in front of me.